Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back on. Yes, it is indeed, Kate. Yes, it is indeed. Um, we have a monthly Q&A episode with, for us today and for listeners. Uh, we've got six hard-hitting questions. Yeah, we've uh, we have had quite a few Q&A questions come in via Twitter, Instagram, and the podcast email, which is... Podcast at ras.com.au. Where do we get the most questions? Like where, which think, channel? I think it's been pretty closely split between um, email and Instagram at the moment, which is kind of cool. Yeah, cool. Because thanks to you, we're trying to do some work on Instagram <laughs> at the moment. We haven't <laughs> had much game there. No, no. Instagram's probably been the, uh, the area of least attempt yeah. recently. So well, That's good uh, for me. Like, I don't even know how to – I barely <laughs> even know, knew how to install. I sound like I'm 90 but I just turned 30. Anyway. Yeah, well, Owen's on TikTok now. We, we just got him on a few weeks ago. So there's a few videos there. We're not quite um, at the level of the, uh, the uh, legit TikTokers yeah. because the videos just seem a little bit too complicated to do with the music and the dancing, but maybe we'll get Owen dancing eventually. No, I don't know about that. But what is the TikTok handle? Is it at RaskAU? I can't even remember. Oh, we'll put a link I'll in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's, it's too so new. If you, <laughs> if you are on TikTok... Um, you can check us out. Um, yeah, we are trying to do a couple of videos every week. So have a look at that. Um, so just before we get into the questions for this month, disclaimer, um, obviously everything that we say in this episode is general advice only at most or mm -hmm. it's factual information if it's just about money. Um, so even if we answer questions that come from listeners, we often anonymize them or we generalize them anyway and you know, even if we are talking about situations, they're not specific to any one individual. So always seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional. Mm. And it's good to remember that this is just our thoughts as well. There's always a million mm. and one ways to skin a cat, as they'd say. And uh, there's always different opinions and different ways to approach issues. So these are just some of the thoughts that we've had and a few of the resources that we've found to include as well. Yeah, cool. Okay. Let's talk about paying off debt versus investing. So this one comes from Instagram. Uh, Kate, maybe you can read it out for us. Yes. Yeah, so this question is, I have around $20,000 worth of debt, which I'm paying off and should be cleared in around 1.5 to two years. And this is split between a personal loan and a couple of credit cards. Slowly paying it off, but also started investing since the start of the year and have managed to keep up with the payments and have nearly $20,000 in savings, which is split between sort of 50-50 between investments and sort of cash in the bank now. Um, which I'm very happy about and has only really happened since listening to the podcast. It's awesome. So the question is, would you reduce your savings to pay off the debt? So they're paying around 15% interest on the personal loan. So um, as, they've, as they've mentioned, they're losing a bit of money due to this. Mm. Um, but they do like the feeling of having savings, especially at the moment with um, less job security. So would you stick to the plan of paying off this debt in 1.5 to two years and cop the interest, which they're saying is around $200 per month, 
or um, just keep doing what they're doing. So, um, yeah, let's dive into this one. So basically 20 grand of cash, 20 grand of really high interest debt. Mm. Um, I mean, so there's a behavioral answer here and then there's a um, spreadsheet answer. Yeah. So What's the I mean, if you're answer? looking just at the mass, it's you'd pay off the debt. Yeah. Yeah. But we also talk about the importance of emergency fund and there's the risk that you pay off the debt, maybe you lose your job or you go through a tough time with your finances and if you have mm. no emergency fund, then you might get back stuck back in that debt trap again. So I think it's really essential to keep that emergency fund even if you are in debt and I think you sometimes call it the float. Yeah, so um, yeah, you want to make sure. So one of the things that happens when you pay off the credit card is oftentimes people rush to pay off the credit card and mm. they're left with a zero balance on the credit card but then they've used up all the cash yeah. and then it might take a couple of months to get back to any sort of positive cash buffer which if then you know your insurance for your car rolls in yeah you know your rent whatever it might be mortgage repayment then all of a sudden you're back needing a credit card but you don't have one and um, you know that's not a great outcome so you know it sounds like this person is already doing really well with savings mm. like really well I would be inclined to pay off a fair bit of that debt. So yeah. I would, depending on living expenses, personally, I would want to get that $20,000 of debt down as quickly as I, kept, as I could. So I might be looking at paying off $10,000 or more mm. um, because $200 a month in interest is huge. Like that's, yeah. that's more than some people pay on car loans or all that sort of stuff. They're 15%. Mm. So the, the basic, basic math for those of you that don't, um, understand this but if you've got twenty thousand dollars in savings at the moment you're probably going to get about what, maybe one percent interest yeah. maybe and you're paying 15 percent on the other 20 percent. so you're losing 15 percent, but you're making one percent which is taxed it actually makes more sense to pay off as much of the debt as you can so i would say pay off in my opinion i would pay off over half of that debt um, just to get ahead of it and the thing is you know it feels good to have savings, yes. It feels good to make investments, absolutely. That's wonderful and keep doing that. However, it will also feel fantastic to have the debt paid down. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm, for a patient investor, I'm probably the least patient with everything else in my <laughs> life and 1.5 to two years to pay off a debt that is costing me money would be too long for me. I'd want to get rid yeah. of that. Yeah, and if that's holding you back from actually sort of focusing on your financial future because now you're still looking after what's happened in the past. Um, mm. But I, I do think it's, it's a good idea to maybe do a small bit of investing. I mean, yep. maybe you don't add anything else to your emergency fund in investing and just focus on the debt from now on um, because that's helping you learn and develop some skills and it's also motivating you. Totally. I mean, maybe if you can reduce the debt payment down, time frame down to a year by paying off some of it, but having some investments in place, it means you can uh, keep learning and stay motivated during mm. maybe the year it takes you to pay off your debt. Yeah, so that way you can have kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, um, so... But maybe, yeah, pay off a little bit more of the debt. But, yeah, it's it's wonderful because, I mean, we're just thankful that we've been able to help in this instance. But yeah, it, it's one of those ones where it does have a behavioral element, which is that you want to be excited about your money mm. and investing. So, you know, that's wonderful. But also there's a spreadsheet answer, which we're saying maybe it makes sense to pay off some. Next question. Uh, I, I'm happy to read this one out because it's one line. <laughs> <laughs> this also comes from Instagram. Um, it's a question on uh, uh, ETFs and dividends or distributions that come from ETFs. And it says, um, this person says, I would love to know how to determine if an ETF pays a dividend. 
So dividend distribution, the same thing. So shares pay dividends, ETFs pay distributions, pretty much the same thing, but the, the way mm. they're paid is a little bit different. So Kate, what would you do? Uh, so firstly, you can have a look at the product disclosure statement, which you can uh, usually find, yep. so the PDS. So if you go onto the website, so um, for example, like BetaShares, Vanguard, ETF Securities, they're all ETF providers. So if you go onto their website, search up your particular ETF, you'll be able to find a fact section and an important document, key document section, which will have that. Um, and then I'd just control F and search for the word distribution, dividend, that sort of thing, yep. payment, various terms that they use. Um, and then they'll have further information on that. And then if you're wanting to go one step further and find out what the historical um, distribution has been for that ETF, um, it'll be usually on their website as well. And they'll They'll, um, they'll always tell you that past performance is not an indicator of future performance, but you'll be able to see what that ETF has paid in the past, mm. which gives you an indication of um, that it does pay a dividend and what that dividend could look like. And not all ETFs pay um, yeah, a, a distribution is something to note. There's a lot of a lot of things that don't have distributions and um, it's always good to have a look at the underlying holdings as well. So you can go, oh, that's probably why it doesn't pay a dividend. So yep. if it's an Australian... Top Australian companies, then it's not paying a dividend. Maybe I'd ask a few questions, but yeah. um, maybe if it's a gold, yeah, if it's gold. a gold ETF, you probably wouldn't expect mm. a distribution, at least not that often. Yeah. So you're right. Like I would look straight at the PDS. Um, the other thing that you should be looking at, as well as like historical payments, is also how often they pay. Mm, yeah. So some ETFs say in their PDS or just on their website they'll say quarterly distribution which means every three months half yearly which is also known as semi-annually so semi-annually yeah. or annually or yearly um some i don't know if there are many etfs or if there are any but there are definitely REITs that pay distributions monthly um but basically you know if you've got australian shares typically australian shares pay dividends and therefore the etf investors get some distributions or dividends from those um if you're in bonds, you could also maybe expect a smaller amount of, mm. in your distribution, but you'll see that. The important point here is that even if you receive a cash distribution at the end of the financial year, normally a few months after, so like September each year, you might receive an annual tax statement from your ETF provider, yeah. at least you should. And so that might disclose things that you need to give to your accountant. But there is another thing, and this is a kind of a inside baseball, a bit of a hint for you here. <laughs> Every month, the ASX publishes an investment products report. So if you Google ASX monthly investment products report, what it will come up with is either an Excel version or a PDF version, and it will list all of the ETFs that are on the stock exchange um, and all of the M funds, which is a similar type of thing, but a little bit different. And then it will say what is the historical yield of that ETF. Again, what Kate said is that's in the past, not the future. So that's something to keep in mind. But mm. That might show you. And the reason why ETFs aren't like shares where it's like this is the dividend is because the ETF and what's inside it will change over time. So they can't tell you for sure what's going to be in there. Hmm. So it's, it's reasonable that they wouldn't know. Yeah. And like some of the some of the Australian ETFs have cut um, – have well, they haven't cut. They've, the distributions have been lower this year because um, like some of the large banks have cut their distributions dividends so mm. um see we're already getting confused between the words distributions yeah. and uh dividends but um yeah pretty much same thing for the, these purposes yep cool 
So the next question, Kate, is a good one about, and the next two are about kind of husband and wives or partners trying to convince each other to invest and save money. Yeah, so I thought it was quite interesting. We got one about helping sort of their husband get involved and one helping their wife get involved. So um, I'll read this one. It's a bit meaty, um, but we'll, we'll get into it. Okay, so firstly, thanks for the podcast. Um, you're informative, but also really break down the basics to help make it simple and point me in the right direction to do my own research. And that's what we always encourage, doing your own research. So um, Owen did mention a few weeks ago about being interested in more psychological Q&As, which mm-hmm. he's pretty excited about. So uh, this is one. So my partner and I are just starting to think about the future and get ourselves set up financially. He's much more focused on making sure we have enough cash aside for a property to live in, um, not a rental at this stage. But I've started reading a lot and researching different investment options, including ETFs and shares, and are keen to get him on board with that to set us up. Um Although we'll do it anyway, personally, to set myself up, at least if things go pear shaped. Mm-hmm. So he said he would be keen to try out one of the micro investing platforms to have a go and get started because they seem to be a bit more liquid and if we needed access to the cash fast. Um, but I also mentioned to him about the capital gains aspect as a possible consequence of withdrawing funds too quickly if we don't hold for the full 12 months for the capital gains tax discount which then turned him off this thought. To clarify, we do have a little bit saved already, but um, between us, probably enough for a 20% deposit in outer Melbourne suburbs already. That's pretty good, to be honest. pretty substantial (laughs) if we're talking about outer Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're thinking about buying in the next year or two. um, And I wouldn't say Lex invest all our savings, but at the moment, money in the bank's not really setting us up for the future and definitely not after this week's rate cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, My question is, how do I get him to come around to investing being an option and also... Um, get him into the mindset that money will be invested for the longer term, 20 to 30 years. It's great to see you're already thinking about that long-term frame. Uh, Also, from a mortgage point of view, would any investments held be classed as an asset and would that affect or diminish the amount of money we would be able to borrow? So that was certainly a mouthful of a question. I think that's the longest one we've read on the show so far. Yeah, I think that's about a two-minute question. So (laughs) that's some good hang time. Um, I, I reckon, so there's a few points here. First one, great stuff, getting started and encouraging him. But I might take the first one, yeah. the second one first. So uh, the question was effectively, um, from a mortgage perspective, would any investments held in my name be classified as an asset or would it reduce my borrowing power? So I think borrowing power, um, you if you have cash in the bank, it's going to look better from the bank's perspective because mm-hmm. the bank will look at you and go, okay, um, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, you've got, you know, your 20% deposit, which is X amount, but you also have the money to cover stamp duty, which is often quite substantial, mm. particularly if you're buying over 600,000 or it's not your first house. Um, you've got money to cover conveyancing, which is like kind of the person that organizes the settlement and whatever. That's about one to $2,000 typically. Um, and you also have money for incidentals that like, like building and pest and all that type of stuff. So they'll look at that and they'll say, okay, you've got enough cash for your deposit and you've got enough cash for all of the property hoo-ha. But if you also have stocks, they'll probably look at that and they'll be, they'll say, yeah, that's an asset against your name. So it's not going to reduce your borrowing power. However, um, they probably won't treat it the same as liquid assets. Mm. So yes, I mean, it makes sense to have more than your deposit. That's what I would say is it makes sense to save over 20%, even if you are going to use 20%. Yeah. But having the stocks or the ETFs won't work against you. Mm. So if you have enough to do both, then you just do that. And <laughs> But just keep in mind the one thing 
that a lot of people don't think about is just that the bank does like to see that you have enough to cover both um, the stamp duty, which can be pretty substantial. There are calculators online. Yeah. And any of the kind of little incidentals. Yeah. And then you also want to still have an emergency fund after all that. Yeah. I've heard of many people, um, their whole emergency funds tied up in their deposit and they just put it all into the house and then they're starting from zero, essentially back to pay, living paycheck to paycheck. So you don't want to be in that position. And it's good you're thinking about the long term frame as well when thinking about investing mm. um, and definitely not thinking about putting your whole house deposit in the stock market, which yeah. is not something we would yeah. ever recommend. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. So obviously no, no, no money that you would want to use in the next three to five years should be in the share market or in the micro investing apps. But um, you, you remind me of a good point there, which is that oftentimes people do use a lot of money for the deposit and um, you know put it into their house. Um, you can, oftentimes you can borrow more with the bank and you can then put the money into an offset account or like mm. the, the mortgage has an offset account when you get it. Mm. So offset accounts and redraw facilities are actually very powerful um, kind of features of a mortgage. You shouldn't have to pay extra for them and you don't have to with you, if you go to a good bank. But um, you can use, you can effectively, if you have say, let's say hypothetically, you have $150,000 deposit, that's fantastic. You might say, okay, we'll put, even though we've got enough not to have lenders mortgage insurance, for this particular property, we'll put a hundred thousand dollars on the loan, and we'll keep fifty thousand dollars in there in the offset account when we're done, because then that is actually a really effective way to keep your emergency fund somewhere, but also earn. I'm doing air quotes interest <laughs> because you don't actually earn the interest in an offset account; it just offsets the mortgage payments. Yeah. So that's a really um, important thing to keep in mind: is that sometimes money in an offset account once you get a mortgage is more powerful than a savings account when you have an emergency savings. Okay. That wasn't really a question. So that was the answer to the second part. Yeah. So the first part was more about um, sort of having a go with micro investing. And I think we, when we spoke to Raise Invest the other week, it was a, it was a great discussion about how um, people just get their confidence up starting with that five or ten dollar figure. It might not be um, like in terms of fees. Sometimes when you're starting with the small amounts, it's not quite doesn't quite make sense in terms of fees. But in terms of getting some sort of understanding and dipping your toe into the toe finger into the market. <laughs> um, it's it's quite a, a good way to get started. And, and if you're thinking about small amounts like $100, I wouldn't be really thinking about uh, incurring like the capital gains tax. Like the, yeah. Like $100, it's not going to um, really affect that tax bill. <laughs> yeah, put it in perspective. If you have, you know, if you ask him to get started with just some micro investing accounts, so maybe you tell him that, you know, these are the things that you want to do. You know, you put a couple hundred dollars in there or use the roundup feature. The benefit that he would get if you can convince him to do that with a small amount of money, because he does want to do property, you could say, hey, why don't you do, why don't we do this as well? Mm. Um, the benefit that you and he would get from him being more open to investing in other things than property would far outweigh the, you know, the, the money that you would be paying in capital gains yeah. tax. You know, let's say you have $400 in there and it goes to, over five years, it goes to, you know, a few, like a few hundred more. Mm. You know, it's not a lot of capital gains tax to pay. So no. it's, you know, you'd much rather him get started, get a feel for it, get a feel for the ups and downs. Um, and then what I would say is that keep talking about it. And we've got more in the next question. We'll have more tips that you can um, use. But just make sure that you're, you're still talking about it often. Mm. And then when he's ready, he will say, so what is this raise or this, whatever you name the kind of yeah. uh, 
invested in anyway. And then you can say, well, it's actually just invested in ETFs. Mm, and then you can start to have a look at what are these ETFs yeah. and what some of the underlying, oh, you're actually invested in Google and Amazon and CBA and yeah. BHP and all these companies and it's suddenly you're an owner. Yeah, so then um, you can say, you know, you own ETFs and by owning ETFs, you actually own these shares and these shares are the things that you're using every day and mm. this is how finance yeah. and investing works. It's not yeah, and guesswork. That's, it's a great way to start that conversation, I mean, just with a small amount, especially as you're heavily focused on the property over the next few years if you just start with micro investing and just get that conversation rolling and start having sort of open discussions about investing like that would mm. be really helpful and then as we as we um sort of discussed the other week uh, at some point graduating from micro investing yeah I, I think um sort of the consensus was that there's no graduation you can keep using this in conjunction with other products but uh, i sort of think often people get to a point where they can start thinking about investing in that portfolio directly mm. by going through a broker but that might be over the next five years you might sort of work up to that point yeah and that's it you might get to a point where you think okay yeah you know we've got five hundred dollars as opposed to you know twenty dollars to put in our investing yeah. account so we'll go and do that directly or or something like that and that's mm. a great way to start um, and then obviously just entertain the conversation and remind him of what it's invested in because that will kind of lead to the next question and next strategy, which is probably ETFs or individual shares or something mm. else. Cool. Okay. So we've got a similar question here. I'll do Kate um, a favor and read this one out. <laughs> so this one comes via email and it says, I love your podcast. Cool. And it's been a great learning tool for me. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. I have a question regarding my wife and the best way to get her started in investing. I have started on my investing journey this year to build my long-term wealth. However, my wife is very skeptical about investing and thinks of it as a risky option for money. How would you suggest approaching this to try and get her to start in investing? Kate. So I think this is fantastic that you're even sort of thinking about involving her in this discussion and for the person before as well. I think it's really important that everyone in sort of the family and relationship discusses these kind of questions and includes each other. I mean, I've seen at work in the past um, people – um, get to 60, 70, one of their wife or the husband passes away and they call up and they just have no idea mm. about the assets that were left behind. They don't know where the money was managed. And it's really sad to see either gender get left behind and they just have no idea what's been going on. So I think it's fantastic that you're trying to get both parties involved. Yeah, and it's, it's almost a, so it's almost, it is a type of financial abuse when one partner um, kind of disregards the other partner's wishes with money and um, it mm. places a lot of stress on relationships. So it's fantastic that you're very open with this. Um, and from these two questions, it's actually going both ways. It's going from male to female, from female to male. Mm. Like these are both challenges and it's common yeah. in partnerships that one person does take control or tries to take control of the money. But at the same time, it is important to remain open, mm. um, which we'll get to in just a second. It's important to remain open and to remain um, tolerant of each other's wishes within reason of course yeah. i mean if they've you know that we've had some in, we've heard stories in the past where people are like sims and they probably shouldn't handle the money at all so you know it is you know that's a pretty rare circumstance it's pretty extreme but this is a really good first step so um i've got some notes here just on this one sometimes it does take a life event mm. so this is there was a saying that i heard once that there's no one more motivated with money than a young woman who's just found out she's pregnant. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's probably a bit crass to say, but you know, it can be the same thing for a male, like in the case before about mm. buying a house. Sometimes men are fixated on buying houses 
as yeah. kind of like a sign of like, I don't know, whatever it is. But, you know, weddings, engagement rings, uh, overseas holidays, you know, these are all things that kind of kickstart people's motivation for money. We we're talking just before about mm. how um, a family member that I have really didn't have any interest until mm. they started a family. So these things, some, sometimes that's what it takes, but that's outside of your control unless you kind of just yeah. spring it on <laughs> someone. Ta-da! Um, so what would you do in this instance? Yeah, so I think um, as we were discussing sort of before off air, the really important thing is to sort of work out where these thoughts and issues are coming from because um, as we spoke to Mel Brown um, earlier this year on the podcast, it really comes down to our money story and our beliefs and how we grew up with money. And a lot of the, the behavior that we sort of grew up with in our childhood and the way our parents dealt with money, our community really affects us as an adult. And if we don't actually think a bit more deeply about it and address that, then it's going to keep affecting us as adults, even though we don't know it. So I think maybe just having some more sort of open-ended, relaxed conversations about how money was dealt with growing up, how did their, like their parents might have had a terrible experience investing. I know like even in the 0809 crash, a lot of people um, have said that their parents lost money mm. um, or like saw their superannuation hit and maybe they turned to cash at that point or something. There might have been a severe uh, event in the past or they might just never have spoken about money while growing up um, whatever it is maybe sort of have some conversations trying to work out what their relationship was money was growing up where those beliefs about investing come from it might just be a lack of education or there might be an actual reason for this belief um, mm. so just sort of finding out some of that backstory and I saw a quote that Mel included from Brené Brown and was when we deny the story, it defines us. When we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. And I thought that was quite a good quote about sort of realizing sort of the background between our money beliefs and how that's affecting us now. So that's probably more of my holistic idea there. That's a little bit less about uh, investing, but more of where those ideas are coming from and why she believes what she believes. I think, yeah, I think what you're saying, and I understand this, is once you understand the why, like why does someone think mm. like that, it's often pretty easy to figure out the how. Like how do you combat that? Yeah. And so if like, saying that, I have come across instances where someone is so shut off to money and even just the conversation makes them so anxious that they just will not, they yeah. will just shut it down instantly. And that's what I mean where life events are sometimes the things that are required for those people to kind of snap back into gear. Yeah. But Oftentimes you can find a way to relate. So once you find out why are they, why do they have anxiety with money? You know, for me growing up, it's purely from a lack of understanding. I didn't grow up in an environment where money was spoken about in the household. Mm. So I didn't have, you know, that relationship. And it was always a point of anxiety when parents are splitting, splitting up and, you know, you're forced to kind of fend for yourself a bit. Mm. You, you kind of form this habit where like you have to work hard and you can't part with money. You know, and you get these really unhealthy associations. So that's the whole part, point of Mel's book. And I've got it right here in front of me. Yeah. You just quoted we'll it. We'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? Budgets don't work, but this does. But yeah. it, it really, I think half of the book really just dives into your actual personality of, with money. It has a quiz in there. And I think both Owen and I had some really interesting revelations from reading yeah. that and going through that and how we're like the different mindsets we have. And I mean, so often like investing can be a very rational thing. Sometimes we can look at it very analytically. We can look at um, the Vanguard charts, as we've mentioned in the past, and look mm. at over the last century, this is what the markets have done. 
like they might have times of volatility, but over time they have gone up. But I mean, that's very analytical side of things that doesn't Mm. deal with all of the behavioral and emotions behind our relationship. And I think, what what was it Morgan's quote? He said, 90% of investing is to do with our behavior and only 10% is the actual sort of facts and figures and Mm. doing it. It, um, So I think that's more what needs to be addressed and thought about here. Yeah. And so, you know, this book is is a fantastic resource, but try and understand where that comes from. And I've got some other strategies here Mm. that can kind of help you with the emotional barriers. And we've got some uh, strategies here. So one step at a time, I think is probably the best advice. Um, Even with my partner, um, she's fantastic with money, don't get me wrong, but she, you know, believed that investing in a house and, and, um, she grew up in a, in a house full of pragmatists with money, people that kind of worked hard and then saved and that's the way you mm-hmm. got ahead, you know. Whereas I was definitely more like, in Mel's words, I created <laughs> a more free spirit with money and yeah. I realized that, you know, business and investing in businesses is how the world operates and makes a lot of money. Whereas mm-hmm. her belief was that we needed to own a house and own it soon. Yeah. And it probably took maybe three or four years, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's probably fair, three or four years for her to understand that, you know, it's okay not to own a house. It's okay to rent or to buy shares or to do mm. this or do that with your money. That's okay too. You don't have to conform with what everyone else says. But that did take a long time. You know, it definitely didn't happen overnight. Yeah. So that's one thing um, to keep in mind as you go through this. Um, the second thing is asking for their input. Even yeah. if they have, you know, a crap answer, even if you're like, Hey, should we invest in the Vanguard ETF or the iShares ETF? <laughs> and they're like, I don't care. Just pick whatever. At least yeah. you asked. And, you know, you can say, oh, but this one does this and this one does this. And they'll be like, I don't care. Just pick it. At least mm. you're having that conversation. You're trying yeah, to bridge that. You're opening up that area. And I think also another thought I was having before is working out what way they learn best and how they've got comfortable learning other things in a par- in the past. Maybe how did they... Um, get comfortable learning about their job did they like going out and meeting a lot of people and talking about it did they like listening to podcasts watching videos reading books case studies did they like doing it through practical means did they just want to learn as much as possible before they did anything work out what what is the way they learn best and how did they get comfortable with other areas in their life and then maybe sort of give them some tools in that direction like Mm. if if they really like podcasts maybe suggest one that works for them or um, maybe like give them a book or um, introduce them to someone who has um, maybe a few years more experience in that area that they might be able to just sit down and have a casual, really honest, open coffee chat with that mm. might be um, sort of understand their situation like a little sort of a, a money mentor or sort of something. Yeah, like sometimes that. they need it from a different voice, right? Yeah. You know, you can just prattle on all day about <laughs> all the different things that are important to you and them and whatever. Sometimes they just need to hear it from someone else. So maybe when you go on a drive with them, mm. you play the podcast through the thing. You say, okay, we'll listen to your podcast for half an hour, then my podcast. And you deliberately know that you've chosen a podcast that is about money but might interest them and then you can try and influence their thinking that way. Um, I've got some other things here like be a cheerleader, let them know that you appreciate their effort when they save. Have a weekly meeting, so keep it short and fun. Maybe you could each once a week just throw in an idea of how you might save money or invest or whatever, just have that conversation. Um, It's okay for you to compromise. Sometimes... You know, it's okay if money comes out of the, the team account or the group account. Sometimes you've got to, you've got to just, uh, you know, that's okay. You just mm. got to do that. Um, there are some, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I was thinking before we started, just some crazy games that people could come up with, um, uh, to make it a bit of fun. 
Um, the first one was have like a, a monthly, I called it a cred card, not a credit card, but a cred card where you have, you each have like a fake card and it gives you a hundred dollar allowance. This is just more of a money thing rather than an investing thing. Mm. And you can use it on anything you want for the month, but you only get a hundred bucks on this card, <laughs> this imaginary card. Um, the other thing is like, if you have like a, isn't this could apply equally to investing or to money more generally, but once you have established your knowledge you could test your partner out and say hey for every right move you make we're going to put ten dollars towards our investing account and and go from there and mm. you know if they get 10 out of 10 right it's 100 bucks that they get to choose the investment or something like that something silly yeah. something a bit of fun mm. and yeah just make it fun as as you said i i think a lot of people just go oh i'm not good with money i'm not good at investing it's for smart mm. people it's for rich people it's not something i could do it's not something i'd ever be good at and i investing's for everybody and it's really accessible now and i think um yeah think what are those limiting beliefs and what is what is the reason they aren't interested and maybe they'll never be that interested but at least sort of having an idea about what sort of you're doing with your money together mm. is really important yeah and you can always and i'd say we'll come up with more tips over time but you can gamify this too there might be another way for us to get ideas from our community mm. which we'll talk about in just a moment um so the next question is on finding um, new companies. Yes. So, do you new read companies this one? to invest in. So, um, I've just started listening to your podcast and love the content. I've personally made an investment in an ETF in the last couple of days, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with my purchase and have done research and need to build a strong core before I can go on to individual shares. So, I, they're probably referencing our mention of the satellite and core approach in previous yep. episodes. So the big question here is where do you go to start researching up and coming companies and getting the information? I've had a couple of mates who invested in Afterpay before it got big, though I'm not sure how they found the information on it. Yeah. Okay. So first things first, why don't I answer this question by answering the opposite question? Where do you not go? And you do <laughs> not go to places like Facebook. I mean, you can go there to hear what other people have to say. In my opinion, places like Facebook, Hot Copper, um, those types of environments are really toxic and they're not mm. the right type of learning environment maybe like reddit's a better source but even still like it's not advice coming from someone who's reputable so i mean you can use those sources absolutely but just remember that you know that's just some random's opinion on on the interwebs yeah and they often don't always have the purest intentions now now i'm going to just go from straight <laughs> from that to kind of where you can go and i'm going to give it like a plug to ourselves and our team but um our team um, at Rast Media, so they Kate occasionally writes an article there, and so do I. Um, we publish probably five to ten articles a day on different companies mm. in Australia. Um, so you can go there. You can spend fifteen minutes each day just reading that. There are other websites. Um, I'll give a plug to our competitors, which uh, the Motley Fool. Um, there are a few others that I would avoid in that list, but maybe <laughs> I won't. So maybe I won't go to them. But yeah, you can read Rast Media for fifteen minutes a day. You can read. Um, Motley Fool, you can read the Sydney Morning Herald. Mm, the Australian Financial Review. The I, AFR, yeah. I quite, when I, especially when I was getting started, I read that quite a bit just to sort of have an idea about what are the major industries in Australia, what's happening, um, what are some of the companies. And that's, you hear about a lot of the up and coming companies, especially if uh, a company might be wanting to list in Australia. They often try and get a bit of publicity through the, yep. through the mainstream media because they want, if they want retail investors to participate. So, and that's often a good way to keep an eye on what's happening. And even Twitter, if you, yeah. if you sort of, um, find that follow quite a few different people on Twitter, you often start to see different sort of 
companies being mentioned and that might kickstart you go, hmm, I want to go and interest that, uh, read about that a bit more. Yeah, just, just the important point, just when you get these opinions, is just to make sure that you make your own mind up. Hmm. Don't just believe what someone says to be correct um, because they have a place that they publish or a lot of followers or something like that. So what I did is I read back in the day is I read the like every article on the Motley Fool <laughs> website that that day. I would spend time doing that. And then I would eventually I got to a point where I would keep a spreadsheet with just basic notes on companies that I find interesting and then go and try and find another piece of information on them. And that's that's generally how I did it. I've just got a note here to say that you know, there are automated services where you can like get every company on the ASX in a list and you're like, okay, that's fantastic. But that doesn't help me actually understand mm. what the companies do or how to remember what they are doing or what they're up to. So that's one way you can do it. Another way, which is a really blunt way, is you can actually just using your brokerage account or the ASX.com.au website, just like all the companies that make announcements, just read them and see yeah, what they're doing. Yeah, and read, read their annual reports, read um, you know, any of their key announcements, go onto their website, see what their product or service is, um, like do just some extensive Googling, uh, which is yeah. I think where most analysts probably start. Um, uh, and just, uh, yeah, what news articles. I think Owen even looks at Glassdoor reviews occasionally. Yeah, so Glassdoor is a HR review website mm. that you go on there for culture ratings or Seek. Seek does the same thing. Yeah. Or you can find the employees on LinkedIn and look at what they've posted about the company. There's lots of ways to sort of online yeah. stalk. Yeah, you can stalk the company. Yeah. So just before we go, two quick plugs here. One for One Up on Wall Street, which is a great beginner book for learning to invest in consumer companies. Yeah. Um, and we've got a, obviously a free valuation course. So you can get on that on the Rask Education website if you're interested. Mm. Okay, final question, I believe, before we make yes. an announcement, um, is... A different type of question, Kate, so maybe you yeah. can ask this one. Yeah, so this question is, where are the places to go to source a good financial advisor when you don't have a personal recommendation? Um, mm. And what are some questions potentially you could ask them? Sometimes personal recommendations are the worst, to be honest. <laughs> like, I, not just with financial advisors, with anything. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, use my mechanic down the road, Jimmy. Yeah, he's really good. You go down there, he rips you <laughs> off something shocking because – the person that recommended you actually has no idea about how to have an opinion on yeah. a mechanic. So that's sometimes it works against you. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it works against you. Anyway. Yeah, and if you, if you if the person giving you the recommendation doesn't know that much, they might not know if they had a good service to start with. And I think that's sometimes the thing with financial advisors because it can get a bit complex when they produce the statement of advice for you. There's a lot of charts and a lot of graphs and a lot of projections oh, yeah. and um, a lot of you don't often see the result of the financial advice for a five to 10 year period. So it's quite hard to next week provide that recommendation to someone. You can recommend them based on the service and you think you've got good quality, but results, that's quite a hard one to measure. Isn't it's it? very hard to measure. Some people believe that, you know, a good advisor can save you X percent per year, mm. like 5% yeah. per year. Or some people believe that yeah, you, for every dollar you spend on a financial advisor, you might save $2 in tax and yeah. you know, mistakes really but you know those are all kind of case by case so we've got some just straight up answers here some really good resources yeah so um there's actually a great website i found called advisorratings.com.au and i'll put that in the show notes but it's kind of like a, a marketplace where you can actually leave reviews and things like that so you can actually mm -hmm. put in your postcode find some advisors near you and have a look and read some of their reviews they actually put some details about their skill set so that's one way to narrow it down a little bit um, we've also I've also included some resources on sort of how to actually choose that financial advisor and things to think about. And there's also a list um, that we'll include, which is 
the independent financial yeah, advisors. Yeah, which is a really good website. Which is actually to to. a very small list, less than 100 of them. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's because independent financial advisors, that word independent in Australia, according to regulators for finance, is a very, very delicate mm. topic. So, they're very, very hard to come by and they often cost you more because they are independent. Yeah, and right? they don't take a single kickback from anybody. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Some I've got things to think about. Yes, oh yes, yes. include fees. Yes, which um, are outlined in the financial services guide and or they FSG. Might, yeah. Yep. So they, but they also might be able to give you sort of an indication. You could ask for a quote. You could say, "I need this, this, and this." There'll often be a base level fee because for most things, they do have to provide you with a a statement of advice and go through your scenario. There's only some circumstances where they can provide a limited version of that. Um, I'd maybe ask for some testimonials or case studies. Again, they're a grain of salt. Maybe yeah. they'll even connect you with a real-life client. I mm. don't know if any of them do that. Yeah, but, um, that could be interesting. Yeah, um, and also maybe their approach to providing financial advice. I mean, they're probably not going to tell you what they do with their own money. Now, you could try asking that. Yeah. Um, and maybe whether they're available to answer questions because if they set you up with this whole new system and you've got lots of questions, you're confused, you're not sure, are they going to be able to answer those questions? Are you going to feel comfortable talking to them? So I think that's a lot of them give you a, a, like a coffee meetup, a free consultation. So yeah, fifteen minute call over Skype or whatever. Yeah, they use. yeah. that's yeah, it's probably all Zoom at the moment, <laughs> Zoom yeah. Skype. Um, but I'd want to make sure I feel comfortable speaking to them, and I I'd be happy to ask them questions, even if I feel like they're a dumb question, um, and they're happy to answer them, or they're yeah. not going to charge you like five hundred bucks per. Per question. <laughs> yeah, you can you can search for financial advisors on the Money Smart website, mm. and you can also check the AFSL. We've talked about AFSL yeah. number. Check that on the ASIC.gov.au website. It looks clunky and old and gross, but it's probably worth doing. Yeah. One thing on the fees is that sometimes you pay fees, and then there's like another totally different table of fees. Sale uh, sales. Financial advisors can be great salesmen and women. So. Just keep in mind that you want to just a clear-cut answer on the fees. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because, honestly, that's why you're there. We always say that, but it is really important. Mm. And don't be, you know, also don't be the type of person, and I hear this quite often, who cleans for the cleaner. Don't be the type of person that tries to get all your financial affairs in order and then goes and meets with the financial advisor to say, oh, you know, you know, yeah, we do this with our money, we do that, when yeah. really that's just complete BS. Just yeah. be honest with them because... The financial advisor needs to know what you really mm. are like because otherwise the strategies are pointless. Yeah, and if you don't provide them the true answers or don't give them a proper indication of your tolerance to risk, then they yeah. might put you in a product that at the end of the day is not right for you at, at no fault of their own. It's just because you've given them incorrect information. So, I mean, a lot of people feel pretty shitty laying bare their whole finances yeah, and everything, all the, the good, bad and the ugly, but it's really important to do that to for them to give you the for them to be in the best position to provide you proper advice as well. And the first, the last thing I'd probably just check their education. Um, have they done the relevant courses and have they got experience? If you want financial advice on a very specific niche topic, um, then make sure they've got experience in that area because like many things, financial advisors can specialize in different yeah. areas. So make sure they, they can give you the advice in what you need. Yep. And if you get into, uh, just one final thing, if you get a re uh, referral from a mortgage broker or from an accountant, just remember that they may have a relationship with the financial advisor too. Hmm. 
Um, okay, so we got to the end of this. Um, thank you for those that are listening. <laughs> you are the diehard fans of the Australian Finance Podcast. Yes. We actually have a new, an announcement to make, and this is something that we've wanted to make for ages. Um, I'll let, just Kate's worked so hard on it, I'll let her do the <laughs> announcement. But uh, Kate, what are we doing? Yes, so we're actually, there's been much debate about that in the this in the team, but we're starting a, and we have launched a new Facebook group for all of our members and listeners to join, chat about things, continue discussions we start in the podcast. A lot of times when we get questions, we're just giving our thoughts and we'd really appreciate, and I'm sure the question asker would appreciate hearing everyone else's thoughts and experiences. Mm. So we're starting the group, uh, really sort of open chats about money, investing, everything super Mm. Side hustles, let's talk about it all. So we'd love to have you join us uh, to be sort of a foundation member. So we'll put all the details in the show notes as well. Yep. Um, but we'd love to have you in there. And, um, yeah, we'll start some of the discussions about some of the questions we asked in today's podcast. And we'd love to have your thoughts as well. Yeah. And so we, the reason why we want to do this is because we do receive a lot of questions. Mm. And there are so many things that we just simply can't get to. Like this went for yeah. 40 minutes, right? So <laughs> we just can't get to them. And so... With this group in particular, one thing that we're going to do, um, and I think I can say this, is that we actually, and I should I say, uh, maybe I'll, I'll take the blame for this. So <laughs> I would like to, in the next few months, stream the question and answer sessions mm. live via video into our Facebook group so you can ask questions on the fly. And so, you know, we can create a really good community that helps each other and respects each other and just wants to generally help people. So it's not going to be one of those sex stock tippers no. you know forums it's going to be more <laughs> of a it's going to be everything so it's going to be how do you start investing right through to have you guys read this in the australian financial review it says this about this company yeah really cool stuff really think easy things that can help you you can join via facebook there will be a couple of questions and just a, a thing that says you know you accept the that this is only like general information mm. it's not going to be advice from any licensed advisors in there but um, we would love it for you to join. We haven't even invited friends or family. That's something we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, we've <laughs> got to we've got to do that. And, <laughs> we're going to um, at least get a few people in there first. The but. time the group launches, hopefully, we've got a few people <laughs> in the group to kick off the discussion. But um, uh, if you're one of the first movers and in the group first, you'll have uh, a lot more access to Owen and I before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll before it gets too crowded. Yeah, we'll try and engage when we can. Obviously, we can't be in there every day, but um, we'll try and engage when we can. And and if maybe if you're in the first hundred members, we'll try and answer all of your questions <laughs> in the first Q and A. So you can oh, give that a crack. Making promises that he may not be able to keep, may not be able to deliver. But if <laughs> if a hundred people have a hundred questions, that's a lot of answers. But we'll try our best. So yeah. Yeah, we would love to see you in there. If you have some wisdom, you want to share some money hacks, some experiences please 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 drop in and um yes yeah, say day in the in the thread anyway we've um, put all the things we've mentioned in the show notes today so be sure to check that out and uh you can send any questions for future episodes to podcast at rask rask.com.au yep and we're also on all the socials so kate's on socials uh well i'm going to wait now your website which is your personal website which is kind of <laughs> cool how to money.online um i don't know what's your um, uh, Twitter and Instagram, how to money AUS. Yeah, how to money AUS. Sorry, easy to remember. Owen Rask <laughs> on Twitter at Owen Rask. Um, cool, Kate. As always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, Tim. To-